Hi, this is Michael Glabicki of Rusted Root, and you're listening to the Iron City Rocks podcast. Hey, everybody, this is Drew Emmett from Leftover Salmon. You're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, guys, this is Zach from Like a Storm. You're listening to Iron City Rocks. Make sure you catch us in Pittsburgh at the Smiling Moose, February 15th. I'll see you guys there. Welcome to episode 403 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 403, we have joining you, joining us from the band Lotus. We have Jesse Miller, a bass player and a sequencer for the band Lotus, who will be coming in to do a show at Mr. Small's, actually two shows at Mr. Small's on the 15th and 16th of February. There's a very limited number of tickets for those uh, shows still available at the time of the recording of this, which is uh, Monday, the week of the show. So if you're hearing this, um, you want to check before you head to Mr. Small's that night to see if there are tickets available. suggest you check those online. Also joining us a little later on from Like a Storm, we have Zach joining us uh, to talk about their album and their show in Pittsburgh as well. But what we're going to do now, we're going to play you a track off the album Frames Per Second from Lotus. The song is called Cosmos. We'll get right into that interview with Jesse. pleasure to have joining us right now on the line we have jess miller of lotus how you doing today jess i'm pretty good despite it being pretty cold it's still a nice sunny day in philly yeah yeah i guess any day we can get sunshine here in pennsylvania we should just be happy um you guys are going to be rolling in here right in the heart of february to do two shows at mr smalls in pittsburgh uh the 15th and 16th um kind of watch your band uh from afar over the last uh, few years uh, really really gain traction uh and become quite a quite a force uh, you know doing two shows uh, mr smalls is is uh a great accomplishment and i see you know looking you've got multiple shows in new york and buffalo uh, i should say brooklyn and buffalo not two shows in dc so obviously you know the world has come around to you guys but when i listen to your music I can't put a label on it. Uh, how do you describe, you know, from an insider perspective, what? How would you describe 
you know, the sound of Lotus to someone who's never heard the band? It's it's not easy, and you know that's that's one of the things that's made it a challenge over the years to attract um, ears and an audience because we we can't just get slotted in this slot. But right. I think that is the reason that Lotus has been able to uh, you know last for I mean twenty years now and has attracted these fans that come to. Uh, it always amazes me when someone says it's their 50th show or their 100th show, yeah. things like that. So, yeah, we're drawing from, um, I would say, like, dance rock is kind of the main main thing, but, um, like, funk is playing in there, jazz is playing in there, definitely a lot of electronica influences as well. So um, we're kind of bringing in a lot of different things and... and uh, and and not that not that we're trying to like cover these genres, but we're trying to pick pieces from them and take different ideas and really distill it into the voice that is the uh, music of Lotus. Yeah, I think that's what's kind of neat. I mean, you guys, somewhat of a chameleon, I think sometimes you can almost feel, you know, you, you could take this music and, and slot it in, let's say, a festival like you guys are doing, the Peach Music Festival. We could really slot you with anything. I, you know, I could see fans of, of you know the kind of jam music, um, obviously being very much into this. I could see fans of electronic music. I could see, you know, even jazz fusion. You know, to me, is, is a strong influence on the music. Where do you come from, as, as a personally as a bass player? Like, what were your influences when you picked up the instrument? Um, I mean, they're kind of all those places that you mentioned I, I actually really um, I got started music at young age on piano first and, and then really just picked up bass in high school when some of our friends were putting together a band and we needed a bass player but I, I think really quickly my focus went to composition and, and I would kind of think of myself first as a composer and a producer and then as an instrumentalist after that um, so, yeah, I was, I mean, when I was growing up, I was obviously way before the Spotify era and even before, like, Napster and things like that, and and discovering music was a challenge. You had to like, get out and, and really, like, listen to everything, and I, I think in some ways that, that makes you listen to things that you wouldn't necessarily listen to even though they're not as accessible if that makes sense so it's, yeah you know be out, out there listening to jazz but then yeah checking out um uh, like class rock stuff and also like alternative radio and i was big into punk rock so it's kind of all these things were getting uh synthesized and and then in college studying music and getting more exposure to classical music even that is kind of coming into play a little bit yeah i mean the one thing i can say for certain is that you don't echo what was on the radio when you were growing up and that's you know the one thing i listen to that you know i walk away the the, the one artist that i kind of in my own headspace was thinking of was brian eno um you know in listening to the music um, can you describe? Oh, that's great because I love you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I I think of him. You know, he was somebody for me. I kind of worked backward from his work with you too, and kind of was like, okay, I see this name constantly in the liner notes. What's this all about? 
um, but it was certainly different. You know, he did um, you know some remixes and things like that. But his his music, apart from his work with U2, is very different. Um, oh yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the live experience with Lotus? Because my my guess is listening to this that this is probably an amazing live show. Um, I have not personally had an opportunity to see the band, but um, can you describe what what the visual part of your performance is about? Yeah, so I would say even just even beyond the visual stuff. I mean, we we are bringing in a light show, and 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 that is a part of it. But I think really it's this energy that exists between the band and the crowd, and we're incorporating a lot of improvisation, and it's a lot of. Um, I don't know, like it, it's dance music, but there's things that are like will trance people out, and and then some really like high energy rock moments. So it, it really becomes this thing where um, if everything's working right, and you know the band doesn't know exactly what's going to be next, and mm-hmm. the audience doesn't, so it it just becomes this feed, feedback loop of energy. Um, yeah, like we played last weekend two shows here in Philadelphia, and. I just kind of really felt that from that crowd, just just really rolling back and forth, and the the crowds pushing the band to new levels and vice versa. So yeah, for for us, when it's all all coming together, it's it's really a fun show. What you know, this is maybe something that that you know might be it, it difficult to answer, but when an audience isn't there, I mean because of whatever reason the energy is not there and i'm sure that there's ebbs and flows in town to town and things like that is there things as you musicians you try to do or do you just kind of maybe then pay more attention to each other and try to feed off each other's energy or how do you how do you combat a, maybe a kind of a flat crowd i think it's yeah i think the the thing is sometimes you can get in your own head and think mm-hmm. you're not doing something right if you're I mean, there's been plenty of examples where I thought we played a terrible show, and then when I go back and listen to the recording, I think, oh, this is, like, not that far off what I might have considered a really good show. So, uh, yeah, it's it's really just uh, perspective in some ways. So sometimes if you you start to get down and feel like it's not hitting, sometimes you kind of have to, like, Take a step back in, in your own mind and say, like, well, maybe I maybe I am doing something right, and it's it's, it's just other factors. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's, I, I think the same is true for any kind of performance. You mm-hmm. can if you don't get the feedback you're expecting, it it can throw you off. Is it hard sometimes? I, I'm sure you get this in the era of you know be bands becoming more and more accessible to their audience uh, you know just due to the economy of the music industry and meet and greets and, and things like that is it sometimes hard to not you know i'm sure when most people walk up to the band after a show before a show whatever and shake your hand and we'll tell you how great the show was no matter how the show was uh it, you know this just people are like that is it hard not to kind of to to take that to heart but in some ways to take it to heart you know even though you might not think you had the best show you may have made somebody's night you know with the way you played or you know it might have been the, somebody's first exposure oh, yeah. to the band and such a meaningful experience for them um, how do you weigh you know balance that I mean I, I honestly think that really helps sometimes to to get that perspective back um, especially when you're out on tour and you play your Saturday night show in Chicago or San Francisco or something right. and it's really going off and then and then you have the routing show that's like Sunday or Monday in Kansas City or something. Yeah. 
it's yeah. always like that hard that hard fall off in early week in some uh, much smaller market. But then, yeah, when someone comes up and says, like, wow, like, you know, you guys haven't come through here in years. I haven't seen you. That was, like, so fun. That that, uh, that gives you uh, some perspective, too. Yeah. That's good I'm, for me to hear. And I'm sure it's it's got to be hard to keep the same level of energy as a performer night in and night out. You know, you're, I'm sure everybody looks at their tour itinerary and says, you know, I'm going to be doing New York City. That's obviously you know, kind of the mecca of the East Coast, and we're going to be doing shows in L.A. and Red Rocks. I'm sure it's not hard to get up for a show in Red Rocks. But, you know, you, you know, some Wednesday night show in the Midwest when it's snowing and the roads are bad, and maybe it's not as attended as well as you like. You know, th- those are the ones I think that really kind of push any musician to, you know, to kind of keep the energy. Um, oh, I- yeah. I mean, if it was all if it was all huge, you, would, you wouldn't have people... Uh, I don't know. You wouldn't hear like the tales of tour, but that—that's the thing. It's these swings of. Yeah. You know what? Even though, or even people going out on shows where they sell out every single show. Yeah. You, you sell out the show on Saturday, and then maybe you have a night off where you're just getting in a car and getting in a plane, and it's just all this uh, mundane kind of um, yeah. things. It's not this high of performing. So yeah, those those kind of swings are tough. To, you got to find ways to deal with them. And, like, if you're a young performer and getting into touring, I, I think part of the thing is, like, appreciate those highs, but but don't make them so high that, that the yeah. low feels like the lowest thing of all time. Do, do, do you think that the improvisational nature of your music maybe helps keep the performance as a performer more interesting for you as opposed to just going out and, and belting out 12 of the you know the greatest hits of Lotus you know to click tracks and pre-recorded videos and things like that uh, the fact that you guys are, are you know interacting musically and kind of communicating as opposed to just making sure you're perfect with the lights um, does that help do you think keep the, the the grind of touring more interesting for you um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I can't really imagine just doing a set um, set list like night in, night out. Um, but I, I think the the other challenging part of, of that side is um, uh, the shows become longer. So, yeah. you know, a, a, a quote-unquote jam band show is going to be a, about twice the length of a normal show. So uh, that just becomes a you know a physical sort of thing so every night you're on stage for two and a half hours or something and sound checking for an hour and a half and um yeah so that's that's the tough part of tour yeah i I, hats off always to i remember my first experience with you know kind of a true jam band i went to a, a government mule show really had no concept of that world you know I, I really dug the blues aspect of the music and went to a show and I was like these guys are playing for three hours you know they just in in the world of you know rock and classic rock it doesn't happen very often you know outside of a you know Springsteen show or something but um, right. that, that has to be you know quite exhausting um, the being kind of in the the jam world um, you know you guys have been nominated and, and you know got a lot of love from the jammies and uh things like that um does that do you think in some ways maybe ensure the longevity of the band because you end up with such a dedicated fan base you know it seems like people when they're into a jam band or into that jam band literally for life um 
you know, is that is that do you find that to be the case? It's, I think there's two sides of that coin um, because, I, I mean, yeah, the dedication of some fans is, is really amazing. Uh, there's also the flip side that once you've got that label on you, no matter what you sound like, some people will refuse to give it a chance or mm-hmm. uh, like some media will refuse to write. I mean, I can't imagine Pitchfork ever writing up Lotus, even though if you played this to him and told them it was some band from like 20 year olds from Brooklyn they would probably eat it up you know what I mean yeah. so it's just that that label is is um, I don't know something that's good and bad but you know in some ways one of the things that's that's good about it is you don't have to establish yourself as um, a very like genre oriented band uh if you're in this scene, I mean, like yeah. Lotus doesn't sound anything like Fish, but you know we're kind of in this scene. But at the same time, we're not, um, you know, an EDM act that when that starts to fade off, also fades off, or you know, some other subgenre that might get it's uh, get a peak, but then uh, you know people like fade away from it. Yeah, you're exactly right. I think you're you're in a genre, maybe whether you want to be or not, that has a nice sustainable audience but it's somewhat you know it can be handcuffing um you know because you you don't expect then a three and a half minute radio hit from you know a jam band uh, for example but then you also don't need to worry about you know some of the more popular trends in music you know you know that that can come and go so that's that's a great point Um, can you talk just a little bit about um, the Frames Per Second album, what the recording process, you know, I think when a lot of people listen to these compositions, you know, I, I think to the average musician, you know, or, or, you know, people who aren't even musicians at all, can just be like, how do you guys even keep what you're playing straight, you know, I mean, do you do, you do these in, in um, you know, a lot of Pro Tools work, or do you guys, you know, kind of do a live recording and then touch it up? Um, and do you chart all the songs out? How do you go about remembering what the heck to play for some of these songs? Yeah, so for I mean, we've done it a, a lot of different processes for different albums, but for Frames Per Second, we um, it's also uh, a film as well. We we shot the tracking while we were doing it, so you can listen to it or you can actually watch us play the whole thing. So the the process for that was really making sure the demos were super dialed in so that we could go into the studio and, and cut everything live. Um, so with, with some, some people, and, you know, we've definitely done this before, while you're writing, might go in and track some stuff, and then there's editing and then overdubbing, and you're kind of shaping things more after you've recorded it. But okay. you know, for this, we really said, like, okay, this is a composition. It's, it's really set. We're just going to we're gonna play it, and that's going to be... The performance, you know, maybe there's some editing and mixing, obviously, but everything else mm-hmm. is pretty much um, live. So, um, yeah, we we spent a long time on working out the demos. Myself and my brother Luke are the writers for the band, so I, I think we did. We we're taking compositions that we'd worked on for a couple years and spent. Um, um, a lot of times just refining those and then when we brought them all to the band we 
we did um, a number of rehearsals just to make sure we were really dialed in. And, and a few of these songs we had played live before too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it seems like a lot, but, um, you know, preparing 19 songs is, is not that different than for us than like preparing for a show or, or for a, a tour or something. So, yeah. Uh, you know, we learned it all, we played it, and now we're relearning it so we can perform it live. Yeah, now, when you do your live set, do you guys um, kind of vary the, the you know, uh, how do you go about putting a set list together? Does it vary night to night? Like, if someone's coming to, you know, show one in Pittsburgh, or if they come back the next night, is it a, is a totally different show, or is it, you know, portion of it's kind of subbed in? Oh, yeah, it's going to definitely be different songs. Um yeah, Luke writes the set list, and it's kind of trying to get a good flow so that there's a balance of tempos and trying to kind of pick out when the more extended improvisations are going to be, trying to get, um, you know, if you're going to drop a ballad or something, where that's going to fit in the set. And, mm -hmm. um, like, if you're going to do new material or a cover or something, usually we have, like, specific like spots in the set where we we think those will work right and you know, like opening the set strong closing the set strong those kind of things are right. things we're taking into account when we're structuring these no, I, I have to ask uh, having a brother in the band um, who is a guitar player um, who took up what first I mean, did you end up the bass player because you had already started on guitar or did, how, how did that kind of go that you know you ended up in two different instruments um, yeah, I think we like both. Luke might have started guitar a little bit before me, but I, I was also playing guitar. But mm. um, yeah, I don't know. We, they, I, I never really thought about why I picked up bass. But yeah, actually, he he started as a guitar player and even studied guitar in in school as well. But nowadays, he for the band he plays about. I'd say the show is usually 75 or 85% of it on uh, keyboard. So okay. um, we've always moved around to different instruments. and But really, like, I think for both of us, like, composition's really at the at the forefront of what we do. Yeah. Now, do you write a lot? You, you mentioned you guys kind of write together. When you, when you start a, a new song, I mean, do you... You know, a lot of musicians, it's, you know, I, I thought of a lyric, which obviously isn't going to help you guys necessarily, but, you know, people kind of compile riffs and then put riffs together, and but you're not composing songs necessarily in the same way as your standard, you know, four-minute rock song. Um, you know, do you keep a notebook or, you know, just grab things on your phone that, as you're noodling around that kind of catch your ear? And, and do you, when you write, are you writing primarily on keyboard or how do, how do you approach that um i i change it up for different things and use different methods to get started so um i i, I find you get you you end up with a different different output depending on what you start as the input so mm -hmm. if i'm starting with something with guitar my fingers might just go toward certain chords more naturally sure. and, um, and keyboard, same kind of thing. And uh, Luke does a lot with uh, keyboard and writing with MIDI, but I, I tend to do more with um, instruments and, and tracking. And I'm also big into modular synth stuff, so sometimes I'm starting with something that's 
a weird modular synth pattern and then kind of building up from there. So, um, yeah, I, I try to use a lot of different methods, but then eventually, um, you know, kind of look toward, all right, how is this going to slot into the band? Is, right. You can get some pretty interesting results if you chop up some audio really in some really crazy way and then mm. try to imitate that on guitar where you would never come up with that if you just started by playing guitar. Methods like that help me to get to some place. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, as you were saying that, I was thinking, you know, you're absolutely right about, you know, with, with guitar and keyboard, you tend to gravitate, you know. I think it may be why so many, you know, your traditional rock songs are in E and or, you know, or A, because it's, it's right there. You know, those chords are right there, and you're used yeah, to playing yeah. them, and they're easy to do. Uh, but, you know, the piano is a, is a very, you know, or the keyboard is a very different instrument. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people sit down and C is right there in front of you. You know, you've learned that from the time you exactly. were, like, old yeah. enough to have a thumb. You were learned where C was. So, you know, it certainly would uh, dictate. Um, do you ever start with, you know, maybe the kind of the percussion end of things with, with beats or things like that? Yeah, a lot of times, uh, especially since Lotus's music is so groove oriented, I mm-hmm. always kind of feel like I I need to know like what the tempo is or what what the basic kind of um, like dance rhythm of the track is going to be before I I really move on. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's excellent. Well, I don't want to keep you uh, too long. Again, you're going to be coming in uh, doing two shows in Pittsburgh and Mr. Small's on the 15th and the 16th. Uh, those in the Buffalo area uh, will get you a week earlier, and then you're going to be headed into Brooklyn, uh, and the rest of your dates are available at lotusvibes.com. So uh, we want to thank you, Jesse, for your time today, man. Yeah, thanks a lot, and uh, I know those shows are um, getting pretty close to sold out, so if you haven't picked up tickets, grab some tickets to the small shows. That'll be a, a fun, fun, intimate shows, and definitely check out the new record and um the videos if you get a chance that's uh, frames per second alright a big thank you to Jesse Miller from the band Lotus again their shows the 15th the 16th and Mr. Smalls uh, check before you head out to the shows of the night there are a very limited number of tickets to those still available go to Mr. Smalls website or Opus One production and find out more information on if tickets are still available and you can obviously get frames per second in stores now we're going to turn our attention now to another band that will be coming through Pittsburgh the band is Like a Storm a uh, band that have been around. This is actually their third album uh, that is out now. They're going to be coming to do a show at the Smiling Moose on February 15th. So also a show that's coming up very soon. Uh, you can get tickets uh, through likeastorm.com. You can go to their tour website. And there's a link to get tickets. Talk to Zach Wood about the band's uh, ev- evolution in sound. Uh, gotten a little bit heavier on this latest album. So we're going to play a song called Devil Inside. Get into that interview with Zach.
like a storm. We have Zach Wood, the drummer. How are you doing today, man? I'm great, thank you. How are you doing? Thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, my pleasure, man. Um, you guys are going to be rolling into Pittsburgh to do a show uh, promoting uh, your latest album, Catacombs, uh, here. You know, you're just coming in just a few weeks on the 15th of uh, February. Um, can you talk a little bit about... Um, first, I have to ask, uh, this is kind of the first question off the top of my head. You're in a band with three brothers. What is that experience like? Uh, is it uh, harmonious, or are you kind of the referee? You know, it's pretty funny. You would think that it would be pretty interesting being a band with three brothers, but uh, I kind of feel like I'm the fourth adopted brother because um, we're all treated really equally. You, you don't feel singled out whatsoever, and that's probably one of the most frequent questions I'm asked being in Like a Storm, funny mm-hmm. enough. But everyone in that band is so generous and kind, and they never make you feel like you're not part of the family. And ever since the day I met them, I've always felt like I belong. And so I've never once felt out of place, and they were very conscious about that. So they're really a great bunch of guys, and I, I never have to worry. They treat me pretty well. <laughs> I remember talking to um, Danny Wagner of Greta Van Fleet a, a few years ago. Um, you know, same situation. And I can't think of too many bands where you get three siblings. You know, it's it's not super yeah, uncommon rare, for two. You know, but um, yeah, three. That's a you know, it's certainly got to be a different experience. But um, can you talk oh, a little yeah. bit about how, I mean, how um, the writing went into the album? I, you know, I had an opportunity to listen to it. its great record, um, really high energy rock. But um, it was, was there kind of a mission when you guys made the album of what you wanted to get it sound wise? Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, thank you for liking it. I appreciate mm, that. Um, you, a lot of the inspiration came uh, when we were touring with a band called Gojira in mm-hmm. Europe in yeah. 2016. Uh, we were like, wow, that, that music, it's so heavy, it's so awesome, it must be so fun to play live. Yeah. So basically we went into this next album with the process of what songs and what ideas would we really like to play live and have really high energy because you know most of our career are going to be playing these songs live and not you know in a studio so right. we figured that would kind of be the main writing process behind it just how much energy we could put into certain songs and certain parts and we wanted to make everything more complicated because you know as you grow as a musician you want to try to challenge yourself and so we definitely did that with catacombs and as far as drumming goes you know probably like the craziest drumming record like a storm's ever had you know compared to the last one they gradually get more and more complicated the guitars are more complicated and some of the singing notes are higher and so i think we definitely just went into it the idea of you know how can we challenge ourselves and progress musically and also at the same time do something that's exciting and fun for a live show and i think a lot of it came from that Gojira tour because mm. they just they became our favorite band overnight since the second we saw them live I didn't know any of their music but we watched them I'm like I'm instantly a fan and that's kind of what we want to portray when we play live you don't necessarily need to know our songs but if you like it live that's that's what we're going for let, let me ask you this on, on the influence because I've seen that happen sometimes there's just a magic when you see a band in a room with a crowd um, had you had an opportunity to listen to them to their music prior to the show, or was it just that feedback they got from their audience that really got you guys excited? Would you say? Yeah, it was actually just it was just the feedback. I mean, I've I've heard of the name before, but I've never I've never you're talking about Gojira, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm watching them. Sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. I've never listened to their songs, and I mean, I just we got done playing. I'm like, I'm gonna go in the audience and see what this is all about, and just this wall of noise hit me like a brick wall. 
and the audience got super into it. So it was definitely just that magic spark that some bands can, you know, portray live. And I think they're definitely one of the top ones that had that. Did you have to? I mean, when it when it came down, you know, to do this decision to to, to go in this direction, um, as a drummer, did you have to kind of go back and really hone your chops or, or work on footwork or anything in particular? I mean, I definitely practiced uh, more than I usually did. I mean, I've always been a very double bass, uh, double bass drum type drummer. That's right. I, I taught a lot of myself, a lot of those techniques growing up. I, first time I heard Lamb of God, I was like maybe 11. I was mm-hmm. like, I have to play drums like that. And ever since then, I was like, that's my favorite style of drumming. So I was definitely prepared uh, to go into the album. But, you know, certain things I definitely would work on more, like different patterns with bass drums and speed and stuff. But I was pretty well trained for it because um, when I'm home and I'm not on tour, I try to practice an hour a day. And I just focused on somewhat different things when we went to this album cycle. So it wasn't anything, you know, super strenuous or uh, mm. crazy. Just a little more practice than usual. <laughs> I have to go home and ice down your calves. Um, would you consider yourself, I mean, I've seen over the years, there's kind of two different schools of drummers. There are drummers who are just good guys who play well. They play well for the parts they're in. And then there's the kind of drummer aficionados who are you know consumed with rush and dream theater and you know all the diddles that drummers do Uh, are you kind of in that school of of, you know how you approach the the instrument um you know that's interesting i kind of teach myself a lot of things in that type of drumming you're talking about it's very mathematical and very Mm -hmm. crazy exactly different time signatures and uh, there's a band that we really like called Architects. They're pretty mm-hmm. heavy. They're like that. Um, it's one of those things where I've never really tried to play drums that way, just because Like a Storm really isn't musically right. like that. But I'm sure, you know, I'm definitely motivated to where, you know, if for some reason we went in that direction, I would definitely embrace that as much as I could and learn it as much as I could. I'm kind of one of those drummers where if I hear something, I just pick it up kind of immediately because I kind right. of get infatuated with that style and just want right. to focus on that. So um, I guess you could just say kind of adaptive, I suppose. <laughs> sure. No, that's perfectly reasonable. And I mean, there's something to be said for just the the basic rock drum. I mean, I think, you know, you look at the, at the work done by the, you know, the, the drummers that have comprised ACDC. I mean, some of the most, you know, get your heart going drumming ever, but it's not complicated oh, yeah. but then you listen to you know some some you know odd sign signature stuff and, and the mathematical and you're exactly right it's incredibly mathematical and fractions and you know it's kind of interesting how math creeps into music yeah, without you even realizing but things, but um sorry i didn't mean to cut you off yeah, no 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 it's good it's like um you listen to it especially as a drummer some of those bands you just are like okay well I don't even know where to start when you listen yeah. to that. You know, you I'm glad to, like, to hear you say that, actually, because yeah. yeah, as a, just a <laughs> novice listener, I don't know where to start, so I'm glad I'm not too far behind. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I definitely think that quite a lot when I watch certain bands. Like, how the hell do you do that? And you like, really just have to focus and pay attention. And I, I YouTube a lot. If, I, if I'm listening to a song and I want to mm-hmm. try to play it live or like practice right. it, I, I have to YouTube some of these drummers because it's so fast and watch what they do. And I've always been that way. I'm kind of a visual learner, not mm-hmm. more... Found. I was that way in school too. I, I didn't really learn you telling me. I had to watch you explain yeah. it to me and like kind of watch how you do things. And I've been that way with music too. 
Yeah, it's, it's amazing how much the, the video medium of YouTube has kind of changed uh, music. You know, it used to be you had to find a guy in your town, go take a lesson once a week and practice, but now yeah. it's... Yeah, um, now you uh, can just do it all online for free. It's crazy. And I, I mean, I hear, I don't know if it's true or not, I hear, you know, YouTube is even starting maybe a record label next year, and there's just all these things that the Internet has opened for music. I mean, it's hurt yeah. it in a lot of ways, but it's also helped it in so many other ways, too. With yeah getting your promotion out there for free i mean back in the day only time you'd see a music video is on mtv and now you know you can have millions of people watch it at any second of any hour of the day which yeah. is great for new bands and stuff yeah and it's great because mtv long since abandoned music videos <laughs> yeah i don't think it's been music for like 20 years now or something like that. <laughs> it's it's been a while it's been a while zach yeah. how how would you say that the new songs go over live with you know, or is it a situation where there may be a tra- the heavier sound maybe is attracting more more of an audience, or you know, how do your maybe some of your older fans react to you know the influence of of some of the heavier stuff? It's funny. I see a large mix when we play live. I see a lot of new people in the crowd that are into it from the new album the, mm. the, the last for, sorry the first song we released was Devil Inside and right. it actually just hit a million views on YouTube the other day and we toured the Godsmack and Shinedown tour uh, playing that song and you can see a lot of new people are into the new style of music and then you can see a lot of our older fans they really like it mm-hmm. and I think everyone's been pretty adaptive to our new style of music and everyone likes it um, but I mean, there's definitely some fans. You know, I've seen some stuff online from the original. I'm talking about like ten years ago, the first Like a Storm record. You know, they're not as happy and think it's a little too heavy. You think there's too much screaming, but they're the true fans will support you no matter what you do and still come to a show. Yeah. This uh, tour we're on now, we actually play basically the entire album live, and then we throw a couple of the older songs in. You know, like Become right. the Enemy and Love the Way You Hate Me, like other ones that were successful at radio but for the most part it's all new stuff and everyone seems to really dig it so it makes us really happy do you as a band who have done you know a pretty nice string of support work for some you know as you mentioned godsmack and things like that um do you guys look at your set list when you're kind of seeing who you're paired with and tailor it or is it just here's the like a storm here's what we want to accomplish in the 30 40 whatever minutes you get we don't care who the hell's coming on after us. This is what we do. <laughs> That's actually a really good question. No one's ever asked me that before. And it's, uh, it's a serious thing we actually think mm-hmm. about before every tour. We we spend a lot of time in our set list and what we're going to play, depending on what the tour is. Because there's kind of a scientific formula behind it. You know, the energy of one song yeah. flowing to another, especially with a certain type of crowd you're in front of. Like, uh, you know, the Gojira crowd's going to be completely different than what the Godsmack crowd would be. So you want to kind of scientifically put your songs in a way that might flow better or some songs might appeal more to a certain crowd than others and we definitely spend a lot of time doing that and uh we're actually in the middle of doing that now because we're about to tour with godsmack in europe and here we are coming off a five-week headline tour where we can do whatever we want and then we're opening again in europe which is a completely different crowd in general with godsmack which is somewhat different style than we are so Mm-hmm. So we're in the middle of trying to figure out what we want to do uh, right now, funny enough. It's a good question. I'm glad you asked that. Well, thanks. Yeah, I, I remember seeing, of all people, Dream Theater, when we were talking about math rock, open for um, Iron Maiden. 
and they just hit oh, it with cool. with an extremely. But when you listen to their music, they, they're kind of all over the map. I mean, there's some extremely heavy stuff and there's some extremely proggy stuff, um, but they blended it well. Um, you know, and that made me wonder. You know, do you? You know, and it's interesting you mentioned the kind of the science of the ebb and flow. Do you find, you know, a song like Devil Inside, um, maybe notwithstanding because you know it's got a, a lot more publicity, you know, and, and views and things like that. But some of the, like, maybe we'll call them album tracks, if that term even exists in 2019 anymore, but the non-singles, <laughs> let's say. Do you um, do you guys find that the same ones elicit the same reaction night after night, or is it completely sometimes a mystery to you why, you know, Chicago might go nuts for a particular song where, you know, Pittsburgh might fall flat on it, and... and do you do you see anything in that like trends in that way? Um, I've actually seen a pretty similar pattern, which uh, I guess is a good thing that everyone pretty much reacts the same for every song. There's never mm. really a quiet dead period, which I mean mm. that's good for us. But uh, everyone cheers just as loud for one song as the other, whether it's the first time they've heard it or something okay. they've heard a million times. But obviously, the loudest reaction is always "Love the Way You Hate Me" because that's right. the most popular song. But uh, we've been fortunate enough where everyone kind of just seems to like uh, everything live. And I mean, once in a while you'll play a brand new song. That, like, for example, we play The Bitterness, which yeah. is a song that's not a single and it's on that new record. So not, maybe not a lot of people have heard it. Right. And, you know, people, they're like, ah, maybe I don't know this, but they're still just as loud as the other one. So you can tell because, you know, they might not be singing along or something. But, right. Uh, they always cheer around the same amount. Right, so you kind of have to to factor that in. I've often wondered that, you know, when you when you have a song that's maybe, you know, the album. You see a lot of bands anymore; they'll tour before an album's even dropped, and you know, and you're working yeah. in maybe seven, eight songs from an album that people haven't heard yet. And I think this is natural when you're at a live show as a, as a fan. The new song, you know, you're either going to be, you know, I don't know this song, so I can't be shouting the words um, or you're the person who wants to study because it's the first time you heard it and you're relishing that moment or you're the kind of person who wants to go get a beer during the new song because you're maybe more of a casual fan um, oh yeah I know exactly what you mean I mean I, I've seen tons of bands live that play new songs and you know I'm not there jumping around screaming because I don't know it yet but I, yeah. I love to study it and see how it's going to go so I mean I completely understand that yeah but, but there's certain you know you'll see people you know and it's not nobody's right in that situation. It's just how people react to different things. And I've often wondered how much oh, yeah, thought goes into that. Um, now, are you guys a, a band that that write while you're touring? I mean, obviously you've got you know, obviously a very new album in, in the grand spectrum. Um, you know, this isn't 1981 where we expect an album every <laughs> June from you. But I mean, do you guys? You know, it's been seven months if my math is correct now since since catacombs dropped you guys yeah, start to like have that. a clock ticking to make another one yeah we we always are writing on the road i mean today's technology and you know garage band or ableton live and all these different programs we're always writing music you know it's not going to be record ready but mm -hmm. the basic premise of a song or a demo whether you're on an airplane or you're in the tour bus, hotel room, the three brothers are always writing music, coming up with ideas. I mean, in fact, I, I've heard, you know, maybe six or seven ideas just in the past couple of weeks that are probably going to be on the fourth album. Uh, and they're always just doing it. And that, that's the luxury of 
technology nowadays mm-hmm. is that you can do that. So I think whenever the time comes for the fourth record, we'll be pretty prepared. We won't have to go and lock ourselves in our rooms and you know take a year off to write an album because sure. most of it will already be been done while we're touring now. So yeah. it's really it's really cool system actually. Yeah, and the economics of music doesn't give you a year to take off. Yeah, you'd be. I don't. Anybody can afford to take a year off to do an album anymore. Even the the biggest. Yeah, not name. nowadays. Uh, Zach, when when they have a song, you know, the shell of a song, uh, and you get involved, uh, you know, to do the drum parts. How much input do you take from the you know the other musicians um, as far as what you play, or, or is it just you know here's a here's a click track, you know, of, of a basic beat. Go go do your thing. How how much you know, collaboration is in that process. Well, it's pretty. It's pretty even, actually. Um, we record all the drums live. We don't, you know, we don't use a computer. I know some bands, mm. you know, they have the computer play it for them. But we're very. We love the sound of live drums. We like mm-hmm. there's a certain energy that a live drummer can get that a computer can't. So we like mm-hmm. to capture that in an album. And so what we do is they'll have a basic, you know, blueprint of a song and how they want the beat to go. And I mean, it's right. basic, like you know maybe just a couple kicks here and a couple right. snares there and then it's up to me to kind of figure out what would flow best what kind of drum fill would be because i mean they all play drums but not at the level that i would play cause right. i only play drums you know they, right. they play it kind of as fun um so yeah it's pretty even i mean i would say you know they give me 50 percent, and then i'll come up with the other 50 percent to make it a little more complex and add my my little groove on top of it uh but it's a good system we have because them being the songwriter that's so dedicated to the idea they've come up with, I don't want to alter something completely. So sure. we want what sounds best for everyone. So it's usually that that's what we do, and it seems to work out really well on the last record. And uh, Matt being a drummer himself, he has a pretty good idea, and he and I communicate in drum talk of the ideas he wants yeah. by you know mimicking the sound of the drums when I'm in the studio with his voice. So it's pretty funny. Do you... Um tend to like when you're working out your parts do you tend to just put on headphones and, and sit at the kit and work through those or do you give it a couple passes like if, if they brought you a brand new song today would you sit down with pen and paper and make notes or do you just sit at the kit and, and just put it on loop and bash away until you come up with something you're happy with yeah, I'd say the, be- the best ideas usually come organically when you're just sitting at the drum kit listening to the song, playing mm-hmm. along with it. It, it. I feel like if you put too much thought into it, it might feel like you did. Right. It might feel too mechanical. And uh, some of the best drum fills and little ideas on this new record we had just came out of nowhere sitting in the studio listening to a song over and over, playing along to it. So that's that's my take on it. I mean, there's no wrong way, but that, that's just right. how we work. Well, Zach, I want to thank you so much again. You're coming into Pittsburgh to do a... You guys are doing a headline show at the, the Smiling Moose on the 15th. Uh, I wish you guys all the best with the uh, Catacomb album, and we'll, we'll see you when you get into Pittsburgh, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on the show. I look forward to seeing you, and uh, thank you very much for having me. All right, that about wraps up this episode of Iron City Rocks. We have, I want to thank Zach from Like a Storm and Jesse from Lotus, uh, two bands of obviously very different spectrums. We hope you enjoyed the variety. Uh, we'd like to hear from you. Let us know at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Um, what kind of music you like? We, we try to go in different directions to keep a lot of people interested. 
obviously there's a lot of heavy rock but we try to get into some other indie type bands and experimental music jam bands blues uh, so all sorts of stuff so check that out uh, again both these bands are in Pittsburgh on the 15th and the Lotus is also back again on the 16th to do a show as well so check that out you can visit us at ironcityrocks.com or on Facebook Instagram YouTube and Twitter are all forward slash ironcityrocks so until next time thank you so much for listening Thank you.